Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Hello, everyone. It's so nice to be back um, amongst friends and with slightly less distance. Um, So my name is Jockey, for anyone who doesn't know. And I'm often at the Battersea site, but have had the privilege of being here with the Ballam family um, for different stages of this pandemic, but now we're moving out. So today we are going to look at Psalm 27. So you know, we've been looking at various Psalms and this is a Psalm I chose because I felt that David's mindset might be one that we could relate to in this season. It's definitely one that is resonating with me. In this psalm, David's emotions seem to be all over the place. He is both bursting with characteristic confidence about the goodness of God, but then he also shows hesitation and uncertainty, even a degree of desperation. Then he returns to the knowledge of the faithfulness of God, his faith renewed, but in the process, it's quite a spiritual roller coaster. So can you recognize these ups and downs? The understanding right off the bat about who God is. He's our source of light, the only source of our salvation. But then the intrusive doubt, the uncertainty, the ability to be distracted by external threats, and the hope that our assurance in Christ is not, after all, conditional. In the past 18 months, emotionally and personally, I've been really up and down. And this is new territory for me. I'm generally what they call a steady Eddie or Edwina. So this emotional roller coaster is not one that I was used to. And I found it really unnerving at times. I know that much of it was external factors, bereavement, isolation, uncertainty, and the rest. But when you feel adrift in your head or in your heart, it can still have a knock-on effect on your spirit. And since the pandemic, through two job changes, a relationship breakdown, and long-term separation from loved ones. I've had to cling on to God. I've been like a needy cat, desperately seeking his warmth and safety, needing his presence. And I've really needed to trust in his promises as never before. And this psalm reminded me that even those after God's own heart can have those moments of uncertainty. They can know who God is and know that he is for them but still carry this latent fear that they're vulnerable or at risk of being abandoned. It may not be true, but the anxiety that these fears induce is no no less potent, and it can be no less debilitating. We have a God who loves us and who protects us, whose spirit intercedes for us and whose power is made perfect in our weakness. He wants us to come to him with both songs of rejoicing and words of lament, and he meets us in our joy as in our morning. So there aren't any images today, but I do hope that if nothing else sticks, you'll remember these words as the key takeaways. So David feared, yet still revered. He grieved, yet still believed. And he was on the ropes, yet still he hoped. 
There is more to them than that. It's really that David <laughs> knew fear, recognized fear, but could still revere God. That he had endured suffering, as we all do, um, and grief, and still believed in God's power. He was on the ropes. We know David faced many challenges, um, but still hoped in the goodness of God. But that didn't rhyme, so I just went with <laughs> my snappy one instead. So uh, we're going to read Psalm 27. And then we'll go through it more or less verse by verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my saviour. Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Oh, two pages stuck together. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So when I was preparing this talk, I found a passage on the website, Desiring God, um, about Psalm 27. And it said, the Bible's a field manual for the normal, embattled, desperate Christian life. God has mercifully packed it, not only with examples and teaching, but also with songs and prayers for our trials. And we need songs and prayers to provide us words for the chaos when anxiety and confusion fragment our thoughts. And it says Psalm 27 is that kind of song. David states his confidence in God, but he also confesses his anxiety and bewilderment and desperation. It's a song for the normal Christian life. So in verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? David is speaking to himself and reminding himself of who God is. But how often do we do this in times of trial? And how much more often should we? It continues, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And once again, David is speaking these truths about God in the way some of us may have practiced declaring affirmations to bolster our own confidence or suppress the lies we tell ourselves or as we did with the giving, to declare who God is 
Elohim, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. But in this instance, instead of centering himself, David is proclaiming who God is, not just to him as David, but by his very nature. In verse 2, he says, when the wicked advance against me to devour, other translations say, slander me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. So David is recognizing his dangers. He may have been a king, but he was not universally popular. He's articulating his anxieties, but also acknowledging that God is his protector, has been and will be, because as he asks in verse 1, who can be against me? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. Do you recognize David's tone? Because I'm not sure it's just me who's been speaking to themselves in this pandemic or spent them time psyching themselves up for a phone call or a Zoom call or a social event, IRL. Um, <laughs> David is reminding himself who God is so that he can walk in his promises and be renewed in his convictions. In verse 4, he says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. David is refusing to dwell on the temporal, dwelling on the here and now. He's fixing his eyes on things above, as it says in Colossians. He's recognizing that even as a great ruler, triumphant warrior, talented poet and musician, his highest purpose, his truest identity is as a son and a servant of God. See, David could sense, detect, appreciate the fear and the danger of his situation, but yet still he revered God. Verse five, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent, and he will set me high upon the rock. I was struck by the translation of in the day of trouble, because there seems to be an inevitability to it, an expectation of trial. And I sometimes fear that as a community of faith, eager to see the Holy Spirit at work, trusting in God for deliverance and transformation, we can forget that trouble and hardship are not evidence of his absence. Christ suffered in our fallen world because we as people suffer. He was raised in victory so that we could be too. So in verse 6 he says, Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. <sighs> I was further struck by David's confidence in complete deliverance from these trials. His assurance of God's faithfulness seems even stronger than his expectation of suffering. And I don't know about you, but I tend to be fairly confident suffering will come. But I tend to be much less certain that deliverance will necessarily follow. Though I believe in my head, my heart can be deceived. And it's an area of work God's doing in me. In verse 7 and 8, he says, Hear my voice when I call. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your, your face, O Lord, I will seek. You can sense David's agitation in these next two verses. It's as though his resolve is wavering. He describes his heart's instruction almost as a, 
though it's something apart from his own will. That's because his heart is turned towards God. We know he is a man after his own heart. But in this instance, it's his will that needs reorientating. Verse 9, he says, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my saviour. His desperation seems to be rising. He seems more needy, less sure. His yearning for God is tangible, but his sense of comfort has gone. He's pleading with God, asking for acceptance, which is a very human response to supernatural love. See, when I was younger, I thought that in saying God is love, it meant that God is loving, as if it were a personality trait, that God is kind, you know, Christ is gentle. But it means God is the fullness of love, the means by which and through which love may be realized, and the only perfect example of it. As David asks not to be forsaken, I see a similar misunderstanding. Again, I used to think that God was faithful in the way that soldiers are courageous or trains are punctual, which is, I'm joking, it's a bad example if you deal with Southwest Rail <laughs> or Southern. Um, but it really means that God is faithfulness personified, for he cannot deny himself, as it says in 2 Timothy. This does not mean he will always outwork our desires or that if we reject him, he will still save us. But it means that he remains true north, unable to be other than all that he is. In verse 10, it says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Yes, David, we are finally getting the message. Um, he is our eternal father. He's our constant companion. He is our forever home. And obviously, I imagine that's something many of us have had to appreciate in a new way in the past year. So David grieved. He could suffer, but he still believed. Verse 11, he says, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Lesson here is we must not be cavalier. There are those who deter us from following God's will and purpose for our lives. We must be cautious and we must be vigilant, like David, knowing we cannot trust in ourselves to overcome the burden of our own sinful nature. We must look to and follow God. Verse 13, he says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This verse is written on the gravestone of someone who's very dear to me. Sorry. <clears throat> and in this passage, it marks David's spiritual comeback. His circumstances, sorry, have not changed over the course of this psalm, but his perspective has. There is renewed hope, renewed revival, and as he says, refreshed confidence in the goodness of God. Because David has seen it, and so have we. We've seen it in the answered prayers, the restored relationships, and the open doors. 
And we've seen it in the incomparable freedom and the peace that passes understanding. We've seen it in the service of the faithful and in the strength of our church community despite months of distance. And even at our lowest ebb, we've seen it as we're reminded that in Christ, we're never alone. Even when we've been tested, and in the past 18 months we have been tested, we've also tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. So this final verse is wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Do it, jockey. (laughs) So with this final passage, which I suspect some of us thought existed as only an inspirational quote on Instagram, in the vein of live, laugh, love, I encourage you to take this chapter home and journey through it again. Walk through it with David. Go through it again with God. Remembering the times that you felt hopeless, only to have hope miraculously restored. See, he was on the ropes, yet still he hoped. I'm just going to ask the band to come back up, or just James, I guess. And as I mentioned, I picked this chapter because I could relate to David. And I was confident that in this season of increased isolation, anxiety, and turmoil, that others could too. While many of us may feel as though life has been put on hold, it seems counterintuitive to be asked to wait on the Lord, because we've done nothing but wait for 18 months. But as Steve said earlier, this sort of waiting is not passive. It's an active pursuit of God and his will for your life to renew trust in his promises and a desiring for his purposes to prevail. And what should be a source of great comfort to us all is that in our waiting on God comes an assurance that when we ask for help or for courage or for wisdom, no matter how lost, unworthy or broken we may feel, he'll provide it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.